someone on page 543 in the church bibles blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers but his delight is in the law of the lord and on his law he meditates day and night he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever he does prospers not so the wicked they are like chaff that the wind blows away therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish this is the word of the lord our gracious father in this song we sung the Lord's my shepherd, I not once. We sang in the chorus, I will trust in you alone. I will trust in you alone. For your endless mercy follows me. Your goodness will lead me home. We pray, our Father, as we think on this topic of the cultural flow this evening, that that would be our cry from our own hearts, that we would trust you alone. Please help us, Father, as we think about this topic now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I went to see uh, one of my favorite bands of all time, Coldplay. Now, I realized for a third of you guys, you've probably not heard of Coldplay. They were pretty big in the early 2000s. They were a pop band, um, a rock band, probably. Uh, and um, it was a few years ago. I went to see uh, Coldplay. Everyone heard of them? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. I'm not just totally on my own. Uh, and uh, we went to see a, a concert in South London in Crystal Palace. And um, it was a few years back when they were still pretty kind of medium-sized, and so the audience they played to was not as big as the ones they do now. And uh, it was an absolute dream evening. I was singing along with my friends, and uh, they played all the hits. And then the time came for us to leave. And um, you can imagine, it's a kind of you know, fairly medium-sized stadium. Everyone kind of swept into the exits pretty quick. And it was amazing. I've never seen this before. In a couple of minutes, just thousands and thousands of people descended on this small train station in Crystal Palace. And um, the crowd became so vast that uh, people started squashing up and squeezing one another. And so much so that, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, you feel like you're no longer walking, but you're kind of hovering, and the crowd is kind of pushing you along. And um, that evening, I was meant to go back with friends, and we all got split up, and I was kind of hovered onto a train and ended up in Victoria Station without really knowing how I got there. I wonder if you've had that experience yourself. You feel very powerless uh, against the crowd. That was pretty fun, but it can be pretty scary as well. But I wonder if um, lots of us worry that we might face a similar th experience with our faith, that we worry that actually we might drift as a Christian, not because of some kind of major sin or some sort of walking away, but just because we're kind of hovered along, along with the crowd and the cultural flow. Or we perhaps worry about our children. Uh, we long for them to embrace the faith, and we worry about them not rejecting it because of some sort of uh, objectionable thing in it, but just because they're kind of swept along with the cultural peer pressure. Or perhaps you know a friend who's just starting out as a Christian, and you, you really hope they hang on, but you know there's lots of voices around them calling them to go in a different direction. Or perhaps there'd be some of us here this evening who just think, actually, this is not a concern for me. This is not on my radar. 
Perhaps uh, I don't really worry. I just go with whatever works for me. Or you might think to yourself, actually, for me, I just won't get caught up in the culture. I've been a Christian far too long. I see false ideas coming a mile off. Well, if we know that danger of going with the cultural flow, then we need to hear what Psalm 1 says to us this evening. See, we're in a series at the moment called Mistaken Thinking, and we're thinking through lots of topics where we might kind of drift off course uh, from the Christian faith. Uh, And this week, we're thinking of the danger of going with the cultural flow. And this is what the psalm speaks into. It shows you and me how we can spot the danger and avoid it. Now, what does the psalm say? Well, three things. Surprise, surprise. Um, First of all, don't be naive. Culture matters. Secondly, don't be native. Consume the word. And thirdly, don't be nearsighted. Consider the future. We're going to think about each of those three things. First of all, don't be naive. Culture matters. See, it's very interesting this. The psalm doesn't start off with getting us to, to, to show how we should avoid the cultural flow. It starts off with why we should want to at all. It's fascinating how the psalm starts. It starts in verse 1, blessed is the man, or blessed is the person. Now, blessed is um, it's one of those kind of Christian buzzwords. We all, lots of us say it, but we don't really understand what it means. And when you have to sit down and think what it does it actually mean, you can get quite confused. I think this word here used for blessed is a similar word to happy. In fact, it's translated happy elsewhere. And when the Bible talks about being happy, it doesn't mean walking around with a smile on your face like the Cheshire Cat or something like that, because the Christian life can be hard. But to be happy as a Christian, to be blessed, is to live a life that flourishes. Even through the ups and downs of difficulties, it is living life in the best possible way. And this psalm, I hope you see, is not just an invitation to those of us who call ourselves Christians, but for anyone, all of us, we want a flourishing life. We want a life that's blessed, young or old, rich or poor, Basingstokeite or outsider. We all want a life that flourishes. And this psalm shows us how. Now, the question is, how do we get there? Well, look at um, what verse 1 says. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Do you see the point? It starts off with the negative here. This is not the way to get the blessed life. It's not through walking, standing, and sitting with the wicked and sinners and mockers. Now, it'd be very tempting at this point to say to you, look, if you want to avoid the cultural flow, make sure you hang out with the right sort of company. Make sure you don't hang out with the wicked and the sinners and the mockers. Don't follow that bad crowd at college with leather jackets and kind of listening to rock music, that kind of thing. Or don't listen to that evil boss at work and follow where he takes you. But the thing is, you know that already. And you don't need me to tell you that following evil people is a bad idea. But actually, I don't think this is what the psalm is getting at. See, when the psalm talks about the wicked and sinners and mockers, it's not talking about some special category of extreme people people with red eyes and pointy horns, that type of people. To to be wicked, to be a sinner, to be a mocker, is to live life in the opposite direction to what God intended. It's cutting against the grain of how God has set up this world, to live in our own way. See, um, when it says mocker, I don't know about you, but I just, perhaps you've got the image of a coffee, it's not that, but perhaps you've got the image of someone who's kind of uh, sitting by and kind of um, shouting insults and heckling someone. It's, it's not that kind of picture. 
To be a mocker is someone who doesn't listen to God's Word. Someone who hears what it says, but effectively shuts it in their hearts and doesn't uh, listen uh, to what it says or put it into practice. See, when you see that, the psalm's much more subtle, isn't it? It's not just saying, look, guys, avoid the baddies. It's saying there's this whole culture that you may get swept up in that goes against God's flow. Recently, um, you may have seen this uh, on Netflix. It's not a plug. It's got some bad language, so I'm, you know, don't go and watch it and tell people that Rob told you it's okay. I'm not saying it's okay, but um, it's, a, it's a program called Afterlife. It's on Netflix. It's written by Ricky Gervais, and it stars him. And uh, it's, a, it's quite an interesting program because it, it details this man's um, uh, life. He, it's a pretty sad story. He, he's pretty young, and he had a wife that died pretty young, and they were very, very happily married. And the, the program goes into some of their backstory about happy they, how happy they were. And um, as the, the man's wife dies, he, he realizes he's got nothing to live for. And he doesn't want to carry on. And the program is all about um, people trying to convince him why he should keep on living, why he should keep going, why he should keep caring. But the thing is, everyone he meets forms meet, meaning to life without God. See, the church, fascinating this, the church is there in most of the scenes, but it's always in the background, I think, kind of illustrating where we are as a culture. And the big kind of turning point in the series comes from um, this character when he meets a woman in the park, and she becomes for him a bit of a priest figure. And uh, there's a point where she kind of dismisses all the Christian faith as rubbish, and she says, look, you're a good man. You're not selfish. And she encourages him to do good. And that's it. That's the big turning point. And his life starts to flourish, I guess, for a while, because there's going to be a second series, but it flourishes uh, for a while. And, and that's just one of a number of examples I could turn up, uh, you've seen them, where that kind of picture and worldview is presented of life, being fl- of, of life flourishing outside of God. It's okay to live life without reference to his words. You'll know the people you speak to at work, the people you mix with at college, the things you watch, the things you listen to, are all presenting this view of the blessed life being outside of listening to God's word. But here's our reminder this evening. The psalm says, no, that is not the way to flourish. See, when you understand a psalm like that, it's much more penetrating, isn't it? See, it's not saying just stop going with the baddies. It's saying, don't take your cue from what the world is telling you. See, the world will present you a way of flourishing. And they will present you a view of flourishing that gets there without reference to God. Living free, doing as you want, making your own rules. That's where life is found. But the psalm says otherwise. That is not how blessing is found. See, I think this first verse deals with some of um, the reaction we might have to a talk like this. See, some of us might think and uh, sit back and think, well, culture really doesn't affect me. Um, It's kind of neutral, or um, it kind of washes over me, and it doesn't really uh, change how I think or feel. I remember having a conversation with a Christian once uh, about a film I was really into, and she just turned around to me and said, come on, Rob, just chill out a bit. It's only a film. And it's interesting, isn't it, how the psalm starts. It doesn't start by saying... If you want to be blessed, you need to obey God, be righteous, do right. 
It starts with the voices you're listening to and what's influencing you. It kind of draws you in and says, come on, which way are you walking? Which voices are you listening to? It reminds all of us that we're not an island. Like me and the crowd kind of swept along, we are all swept up with a culture. See, I think this uh, first point really says this. The first defense against the cultural flow is to recognize there is a cultural flow to begin with. Now, Dan Strange, uh, he spoke here a couple of years ago. Uh, He's written a book recently uh, called Plugged In. It's an excellent book, and it'd be well worth getting hold of uh, and reading. Um, And he speaks into some of these uh, issues. And uh, he says this uh, about uh, the things we hear around us. He says this, All of us spend a lot of our time, uh, a lot of our waking moments, taking in and telling cultural stories. Recent research showed that the average American consumes over 10 hours of media every day. It's thought that you'll spend seven and a half years of your life watching TV and over five years on social media. Now, when he said that, I thought seven and a half years sounded a a bit low, actually. I thought I'd done seven and a half years just as a kid. But you get the point, don't you? We're bombarded. We're bombarded with other stories, stories that don't have their reference in God and his word. So there is a cultural flow. Don't be naive. But our second point is this. How do we respond to the cultural flow? Well, having started with the negative, the psalm then turns to the positive in verse 2. Have a look at this, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. See, the psalm is saying, look, if you want a blessed life, if you want to flourish, it comes through meditating on God's law. Now, that word meditate, it's, a, it's another one of those kind of Christian buzzwords, isn't it, that uh, we kind of hear, but we don't always understand. Um, we're not here to think of the yoga class or the monk kind of sitting still with legs crossed going, hmm, that sort of thing. See, to meditate in the Bible is to chew things over. It's to talk about it. It's to reflect on. See, I think today we tend to think of meditation as completely clearing your head. Meditation in the Bible is filling your head. See, he's saying, look, instead of going with the cultural flow, a flow that kind of dismisses God's word, you're to meditate on God's law. Now, it'd be very tempting again at that point to say to you, okay, guys, go away, meditate on God's law, and then you'll resist the cultural flow. But when the psalm talks about the law, it's not quite as we understand the law today. See, when he says law, he's not just talking about rules. He's not saying go and think about the 613 Old Testament commands. See, when the psalm talks about the law, he's talking about the first five books of the Old Testament. And those first five books aren't just commands, you'll know this very well, but they're the whole story of how God redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt into the promised land. Now, why do I say that? Well, he's saying go and meditate on those books that give meaning to who you are. Go and look at the backstory. Talk about the backstory to how you've come to be the people you are. See, all of us, um, even today, we need a backstory, don't we, to understand who we are. See, you can't understand modern Britain in 2019. I think we're 2019. Uh, You can't understand modern Britain without understanding things like the Industrial Revolution or uh, the Empire or the Battle of Hastings or or, you know, all that sort of stuff. I won't go on, I don't really know much of it. But um, uh, 
we, you know, you get the point. We have a backstory uh, into who, uh, what, what Britain is today. And lots of us kind of, we do that on the macro level, but even on the micro level, we have a kind of personal story we tell each other, uh, we tell ourselves. I'm from this family, or I'm from this culture, or I've had these struggles, or I achieved these things. And that's all gone to shape the way I am today. And the psalm is saying, look, if we want the blessed life, if we want to flourish, it doesn't come from taking our cue from the world's story or our own stories, but meditating on God's story. It's fair. We have much more of that story now, of course. And so verse 2, I think, can equally be uh, read as meditating on the whole of the Bible. Now, to meditate is much more than just reading the odd Bible verse here and there. As I said at the beginning, it's in to inhabit, it's to talk about, it's to imbibe God's story. It's not the quick two-minute devotion as we're running out the door in the morning. It's not the Bible reading we only hear once a week at church. It is knowing God's Word so deeply that you see the whole of your life through God's story and what He's doing in our world. Um, this isn't meant to be a kind of plug of all the stuff that I like watching, um, but it just so happens I've got two illustrations from television, which I seem to watch a lot of. Um, this, uh, this film, Interstellar, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, it's a, one of my favorite films, and I probably will talk about it again, so apologies. But in the film, uh, the, uh, the crew, um, it's about a space crew who fly out to Saturn, and uh, as they fly out to Saturn, they go into hypersleep, this isn't true, by the way, um, <laughs> but they go into hypersleep, and um, you know, after several years, they, the whole crew wakes up from their hypersleep. And one crew member just suddenly has a panic attack. He realizes that he is so far away from home. He starts to freak out about the millions of miles from the edge of their spaceship back to Earth. But then you see in the same scene another crew member who is happy as anything. He's walking around. He's a completely different picture. And he comes over to this crew member who's freaking out and talks to him, and then you find out he's got headphones in, and he takes them off and hands them to the crew member. And as he does, you hear what's in the headphones, and you hear it's the sound of rainfall from earth. And the psalm is saying, look, if you want to ride the cultural, if you want to resist the cultural flow, you need to have a different sound in your ears. You need to have God's story playing over and over, day and night, so that you see your life through what God has said in his word. See, I hope we see we don't resist the cultural flow by pretending it doesn't affect us. It will do. These stories are out there, and we do get affected by them. And we don't resist the cultural flow by kind of shutting the doors and becoming a holy huddle as a church. Some churches have tried that, uh, because the culture always gets in. It's in our hearts. It's in our minds. uh, It's all over. See, the answer to uh, stopping going with the cultural flow is that we know God's Word so well that it drowns out those alternative messages. Now, how do we do this? Well, verse 2 talks about doing it day and night. It's all the time, in other words. Personally, um, I've appreciated more than anything older Christians saying to me early on that you're to reflect on God's Word each morning. Now, I'm not standing up here. I realize as soon as I say that, people feel very guilty, and I'm not perfect, and there are times where I've not done that for a long while. But it is like an old friend that I've gone back to, just 
that regular routine of reading God's Word in the morning and praying. I must say, I've found it a lot harder since I've got a smartphone, and um, I've had to tell myself, Rob, you're not to unlock your smartphone until you've actually read your Bible and said your prayers. Perhaps some of us don't find reading that easy, and that thought kind of brings up uh, some worry that we might not be able to read or might not be uh, able to understand, but we've been given now audio recordings on your phone uh, that you can listen to and you can meditate. But meditation is not something we do alone primarily. It's something that we do together as a church family. That's why each Sunday we spend time thinking about God's story and His Word. It's why we spend time encouraging one another as we talk about it. And this isn't meant to be a bit of a, a kind of plug for small groups, but I really do think that in a bigger church like this, you do need to be part of a small group to get this alternative story into our minds and into our hearts. You'll know that you're so bombarded by other voices saying that God's word doesn't matter, you can live life and flourish without it, that if we just hear for one hour on a Sunday an alternative message, that is not enough to counter the other 167. See, a small group helps us to reflect, to meditate, and help one another apply it to our own hearts. And can I just say, if you're involved in that ministry of small groups, you have an amazing privilege, don't you, of leading others in the way of flourishing. But to meditate on God's Word is not an end in itself. The psalm gives us the motivation for doing so, and that's where we get to on our third point. Don't be nearsighted. Consider the future. Uh, The psalm here gives us two pictures. Uh, The first comes in verse 3, It says this, he is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. I have got little idea how trees work, so I've had to read up on this. And it turns out in the Middle East, you get trees like you do here. Uh, But they're slightly different because they uh, produce fruit uh, during the hottest uh, part of the year where it rains the least. And so if you want a tree that produces lots of fruit, you have to plant it near a stream. And and you get the picture here, don't you, of verse 3. This is a tree that is by a stream. It's got enough water. It's got enough leaves. It's producing abundant fruit. But the second picture comes in verse 4. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, again, I've had to look this up, but the chaff is the husk around grain. You know, grain that goes into bread and pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, it? It produces things like bread and pasta and that sort of thing. It's actually surrounded in a, um, a husk. And uh, the farmers in the Middle East, after uh, this time, after they produced the harvest, would put all the grain on the floor and get a fork and throw it up into the air. And the, the, the grain would fall to the ground and then the husk would fly off in the wind. And that's the picture here. You see the contrast, don't you? A tall tree that flourishes and is fruitful. That is life with God. Life outside of him is to be carried off like chaff in the wind. There really are only two ways to live, the psalm says, with two very different outcomes. But the thing is, as I was preparing this, I thought, it doesn't always seem like that, does it? There'd be some of us here this evening perhaps sitting there thinking, yeah, but living life God's way is hard 
meditating on his story doesn't feel, doesn't make me feel like a tree that flourishes. In fact, going that way feels harder a lot of the time. And when I look out at the world and its stories and its messages, it shows me that there is flourishing to be had by getting good grades, getting a good job, having the most followers, planning the best retirement. And it all looks true. But there's something, do you know, that makes all the difference. And it comes at the end of the psalm in verse 5. He says this, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. See, uh, verse 6, quite interesting, it's it's the first time the Lord comes into the picture. He's spoken about this way to live, but without reference to God, but now he comes right in. And the reason I think he does that is to say, it might look like these ways uh, are ways to flourish, but put God back in the equation, and it's a completely different picture. See, there was great sadness um, when I was watching this Afterlife series Um, because there was just no answer. I was watching it expecting that there was going to be this alternative worldview presented and it was going to cause lots of problems that I would have to think through, but it never came. The character experienced such sad loss, but no one could give an answer other than this is really rubbish and you need to carry on. And then I thought to myself, there is no answer to a life lived without God when something like that happens. See, the other way we need to respond to the cultural flow is to fast forward those stories we're being told. See, the thing is, if you and me keep our eyes down on the present, it will feel like the cultural flow is more enticing. But the psalm pushes our eyes to the future and says there is a judgment, there is a calling to account by God. Um, people my age, uh, which I'm not going to tell you what it is, but um, I think we grew up in a pretty optimistic era. We thought we could change the world. Uh, the big kind of campaign when I was growing up was Make Poverty History. And uh, the big political song was Things Can Only Get Better. But I remember at that time, as I reached adulthood, a friend of mine died suddenly. And it brought that kind of crashing realization that life only lasts so long. And to to truly flourish, we need to build a better world, not just for now, uh, but but also it has to answer problems like death and judgment to come. And wonderfully, that is what we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, actually, this psalm is an invitation to you and me, but actually, it is first and foremost about someone else. See, Jesus has lived this psalm perfectly. Perfectly. See, he is the only one not to go with the cultural flow. He delighted in God's word so much that he was able to resist the devil's temptations in the desert. Scripture was so in his heart day and night that even as he breathed his final breaths, it was words from God's word. And where it looked like that Jesus had perished, that he looked like chaff blown away in the wind, He flourished as he rose to life, conquering death and judgment forever. And it's by Jesus living this psalm, it's by him not going with the cultural flow, that you and me can be sure that we can have a blessed life, not just in this world, but forever, even through death and judgment. See, there will be a cultural flow. We will be bombarded with other stories as we mix in our world. 
But no other voice, no other story can make this sort of promise. Um, We uh, had a new baby a few weeks ago, and thank you so much for your prayers and support and your meals. And um, lots of people brought us around flowers uh, for the new baby, uh, which, you know, I appreciate. um, We stacked them all up in our kitchen, and uh, they look beautiful. I've got a bit of hay fever, I must admit, so I didn't really (laughs) spend much time in there. But um, they were, you know, after a few days, these flowers blossomed, and they were absolutely filling our kitchen. But it's three weeks later, and um, I'm sorry if you did buy us flowers, but they're now in our brown uh, bin outside. They've all wilted. But amongst these flowers, we've also got little trees, and um, I can't even remember where we got them. I think some people bought them for us when I started this job. And the thing is, they look the same as when they arrived. They're flourishing. And the psalm reminds us that that is the only two destinies you and me can head towards? Are we going to be like the tree that's rooted in God's Word, meditating on His Word day and night, or are we going to be like the flowers that perish? Let's pray. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law he meditates day and night. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the picture of the Lord Jesus this paints for us as He meditated on your word day and night and lived a blessed and flourishing life. Please, our Father, incline our hearts towards living like him by his power. And please help us, Father, to discern those things we hear from our world. Help us to spot what is unhelpful, what is not flowing with your word. And please help us, Father, to trust you when you promise that we will stand in the assembly of the righteous. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.